Tom Woods Show, episode 1650. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. No matter who you are, this message is directed at you. You're overwhelmed with email. You don't know how to handle it. You can never stay on top of it. What do you do? You use SaneBox, which will help manage your email and get you your sanity back. Visit SaneBox.com slash Woods today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash Woods. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. Very glad to be joined once again by Eric Brakey. Eric served four years as a state senator in Maine. He was the Maine state director for the 2012 Ron Paul presidential campaign, and he is currently the front runner for the Republican nomination for U.S. Congress out of Maine, and I wanted to check in with him and see how things are going, particularly in this age of COVID-19, which makes campaigning a little tricky, but I'm interested in this race because it seems to be a winnable one for a genuinely good guy. Eric's been a listener and supporter for a long time, and I'm delighted he's doing so well. Eric, welcome back. Hey, Tom. I'm so glad to be back on the program with you. I know we're talking about federal issues today, but I just want to bring up something I saw in the news the other day about Maine, where you live, and about the gradual reopening that's taking place in Maine. It has to do with restaurants. It's that one of the requirements is that the restaurant owner has to collect contact information for each party just in case there's an outbreak so they can then contact that party. Have you heard about this? Oh, absolutely. I, the thing that came to mind is how we've always been fighting against, uh, you know, gun registries. They want you to register when you buy a firearm. And I never thought we were going to have to fight to, uh, against having to register to buy a cheeseburger. It's insane. It's just crazy what's going on. So Maine just, it's frustrating because Maine relies a lot, I think, from what I understand, on tourism. And I don't think they're making life easy on tourists either. And I don't know if that's ever going to improve. So it's, uh, I mean, I guess I live in a relatively free state of Florida. And even here, it's not, it's so weird. You listen to the governor, who is not a bright guy. He, he's, he's like a George W. Bush type of guy. But you get the sense that on a basic level, he understands that they wildly overpredicted what was going to happen in Florida. He gets that. And he knows that it makes no sense to continue these restrictions. But at the same time, he knows that half the people in the state are irrationally afraid. So it's, it, you know, he, he's, I think, trying to figure out the best approach given those circumstances. But let's, let's turn now to what's more important here, which is what, what you're up to. You're campaigning for the U.S. Congress, and yet there's a shutdown going on. The other day, Joe Biden tried to do a virtual rally over uh, the, you know, a live stream. And it was glitching and horrible and it, oh, good grief, it's just terrible. But when you campaign, you want to get out and shake hands. You want to be face-to-face and you want to have large gatherings. And all those things are forbidden. So what's it like running this particular campaign? Well, it certainly has uh, made things very different. Uh, with the exception of those handful of protests and rallies that I've been to uh, in front of the uh, the governor's mansion here in here in Maine, there really haven't been many opportunities in the last uh, well the last two months or so really to do kind of big in person events. So we have been forced to shift. You know, we 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 had a lot of uh, young liberty minded people up here helping us knock doors. 
Uh, they'd knocked on over 35,000 doors before this uh, shutdown began. And so we've had to change tactics on a lot of things. People are making phone calls instead of knocking doors. We're doing, uh, uh, I am uh, doing a lot of kind of Facebook Live, uh, town halls and ways to engage with people. In fact, I recently had on uh, Mayor Glenn Jacobs from uh, Knox County, Tennessee, uh, and uh, a lot of a lot of great great folks with different perspectives on issues that are are facing us as a you know both as Maine people here in Maine, but also as Americans through throughout all of this craziness. You know, it's um, it uh, a piece the other day criticizing you know oh these these governors that are trying to reopen states they're doing this on based on data that's not as you know full and accountable as we would like it to be and i just thought yeah geez kind of like how they shut down all these states based yeah. on uh, numbers and <laughs> yeah. data that turned out to be completely completely bogus so it seems to me that the burden of proof should really be on those who say we need to shut down our economy and destroy the livelihoods of millions of people and that burden of proof you know, certainly maybe in these first few weeks when we were all scared and didn't know what we were dealing with, we were a lot of folks were willing to go along with it. But we just have so much more information now downgrading the threat and telling us that perhaps it's time to look at much more targeted measures than just hitting the whole economy with a sledgehammer. Well, especially when we see how concentrated it is in particular places, overwhelmingly, uh, New York and New Jersey and that area. And the rest of the country put together has about half as many cases. So, and it does seem to be the case that everybody was going after the governor of South Dakota. How dare you not shut down your state? And they're actually doing fine. And so yeah, I she's pointed a hero. out that what? Oh, I beg your pardon? She's a hero. Yeah, she absolutely is. She resisted. It's so funny that the governor of Michigan is being thought of as potential VP material, whereas the governor of South Dakota is a pariah when she's doing sensible things, that it, it's almost as if no matter what you do, the virus goes about its its way. It goes on its way no matter what. Because when you, again, I've, I've said this, but if you can look at the data, it's easily found. If you plot the, the timings of the lockdowns against what the health results were, there is no relationship at all. And of course, again, I'm living in Florida. When Governor DeSantis more or less locked the state down. Everybody, and I mean everybody, every opinion leader was saying that he was two weeks too late and there was going to be a bloodbath. And that not that came nowhere near coming true. Nowhere near. It was, they were preposterously off, but yet everything's non-falsifiable. So then if we bring this up to them, it might be, well, we must have done a good job before the lockdown through voluntary. Okay, maybe, I don't know. So I guess I can't ever disprove anything you say, but they were trying to scare the bejesus out of everybody here, saying that you have a stupid governor. It never happened. Well, it it's, it certainly is good that we have a few um, a few states and and countries that have gone a different a different route. So not just like South Dakota, you have Sweden, which the I guess the World Health Organization has reversed themselves for I don't know how many times now they've they they were wrong, but now they're holding up Sweden as a potential model for how. Other countries could do things with targeted yeah. measures that don't destroy uh, people's economies and people's jobs and livelihoods. And I guess, if nothing else, for those of us in these lockdown states, it is so helpful to see those who have gone a different way so that well, at least we can make the comparison. We have a, a bit of an A-B test we can look at uh, to see if this heavy-handed, this uh, this response that <laughs> – 
seems very similar to what we would expect out of out of communist China, not not the America we know and love. Uh, if if any of it was worth it or, or made any sense at all in the long run, and it's looking more and more like this is just a complete overreaction. Well, let's talk about your race now. Last time we spoke, you were the only candidate in the Republican primary, but now you have two primary opponents. So, first of all, I want to know who they are. I do have two primary opponents, and I, I you know, I'll tell you. Last time I was on the program, it was it was wonderful. I'll tell you, you have. Uh, of course, I'm a member of your audience, so I, maybe I'm tooting my own horn here too. But you have one of the the best audiences out there. I met, uh, I heard from so many people, Tom, who listened to your show, who reached out, people who invested and donated to our campaign. And actually, you know, as I, because I I like to call people and say thank you. So I've I've gotten a to to know a lot of a, a lot of these folks, and it's a very encouraging how strong the liberty movement still is today, and how we can still kind of rally together for these, you know, these important causes. Um, let me tell you, to tell you something about one of my primary opponents who's entered the race, we have to actually go back a little bit to 2012. People may remember here in Maine uh, when, uh, you know, I was the state director for the Ron Paul presidential campaign and Maine was one of the few states that we actually won. Uh, we we won at the state convention, won all the delegates, but the Mitt Romney campaign wasn't too happy about that and uh, challenged our delegation and kicked a bunch of us out. Some people may remember this. It was a it was a high moment. You know, at the national convention, people marched out of the convention chanting, as Maine goes, so goes the nation. Uh, you know, it was um, one of those moments we saw the way the sausage is made and the heavy-handed tactics of the Mitt Romney campaign and the RNC. Well, there were people who were handpicked by the Mitt Romney campaign and the establishment to take our place. I was kicked out as a national delegate, and uh, they handpicked certain people who were never elected to take our place. At the time, we called them scab delegates. Uh, one of those one of those guys who uh, was uh, handpicked by the Mitt Romney campaign to take my place as a delegate has now been handpicked by the establishment to run against me for this primary. Um, and so... Uh, it, it's it's kind of interesting to see how uh, what's old is new again. These same battles between the the liberty movement and the establishment are still being fought today. And just like we we fought back and we won a decisive victory in Maine in 2012, we have an opportunity to really win this cycle. I continue to be the front runner in this race. The support that has come in from so many uh, people, liberty minded, freedom loving people across the country, has made us the top fundraising campaign. Uh, we've got intense grassroots support on the ground. We're still finding ways through all this coronavirus craziness to get our message out there. And if we keep up the momentum that we have, we will win this on July 14th, our, our, our primary date. Um, and if anyone would like to chip in uh, and help uh, help the liberty movement win win one again here in Maine, just like we did in 2012, people can go to ericbrakey.com and invest and chip in. All right, I've got some things I want to ask about the present and future uh, that I'll ask as soon as we come back from this break. Folks, tell me if you can relate to this. Email is a soul-crushing distraction for you, and it causes you anxiety when you can't keep up with it, and at the end of the day, you know you have more email you haven't gotten to, and then the next day it just gets worse, and you don't know how to get a handle on it. SaneBox's artificial intelligence monitors your inbox. Automatically, knucklehead email is moved to your Sane Later folder. All that's left is the important stuff. If you know how email folders work, then you know how SaneBox works. Find an email in the wrong folder, just move it. Nothing to learn, nothing to install. SaneBox works directly with every single email server or service that has ever been created. 
It also has neat features like the sane black hole where you can drag messages from annoying people you never want to hear from again and sane reminders to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com woods today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot woods. This is an easy question, but just so that people know you better, if you were to identify yourself with a current sitting congressman, who would that person be? Thomas Massey, 100%. Um, Thomas is, I think, you know, in the uh, post-Ron Paul era, I think Thomas has really set an amazing example for how you can operate within the Republican Party, stick true to the principles of freedom and liberty, and be the one to stand up and and highlight when everyone else is, when everything else is crazy in Washington, D.C., you've got at least, you've got Thomas Massey there who's willing to stand up and point out that the emperor has no clothes. Uh, and so Thomas has endorsed me in this race for Congress. I'm looking forward to joining him there so that he's not so alone when the, when the good fight needs to be fought. Um, but certainly uh, Thomas Massey is someone I look to as a mentor. What would you do once uh, in office? I mean, that's, that is to say, what would your priorities be? And um, who do you expect to be working closely with? Well, um, we've got a lot of challenges right now uh, on the federal level, as I think, well, probably your entire audience is aware. Um, but I think that this particular moment it, with the coronavirus and the government's response to it has highlighted in a very acute way some of the big problems that we face, particularly in healthcare. I mean, we've seen the complete failure of our healthcare system, and it's really a result of these, these government bureaucracies that uh, restrict all private innovation, want, want to be able to rubber stamp and, and have to approve anything before you try to help your fellow man. And in this moment, it, it, it's meant that testing was severely delayed. Uh, supplies of health care couldn't, couldn't be properly expanded because of certificate of need laws and things like this. You know, I, I've been making it a signature issue on this campaign for how we fix health care by uh, by firing the bureaucrats and putting doctors and patients back in charge. You know, right now we've seen over the years the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's and including my my uh, my opponent in the general election, the De Democrat incumbent Jared Golden. They've been favoring this uh, socialized health care model, Medicare for all, uh, which would just you know, consolidate power. Yeah, you're taking power away from the corporate bureaucracy, but then you're just handing power over to the government bureaucracy. When what we really need to do is we need to fire the bureaucrats and put people and their doctors back in charge. So you can do that with things like expanding health savings accounts or even looking at Medicaid. You know, we spend a half a trillion dollars every year on Medicaid. It goes from, from um, uh, taxpayers to just government bureaucrats and hospital bureaucrats, if you took those those same funds and you put them into health savings accounts that the beneficiaries controlled, you could restore kind of the direct doctor-patient relationship and cut out all these middlemen who are just trying to control our exchanges with our doctors and, well, taking their cut along the way. So that's one of the big issues I'm going to be fighting for is how we personalize health care and fire the bureaucrats. Well, what about what's going on right now? I mean, suppose you get elected. By the way, but before we get to that, uh, so there's a Democratic incumbent in this in this uh, uh, slot. 
Yeah, this is one of the top most competitive districts in the entire country. Um, it's a district that Donald Trump carried by 10 points for four years. It was the only Republican district in all of New England. Uh, but in the blue wave two years ago, uh, the Republican incumbent uh, was was beaten by a very slim margin. Okay, and a Democrat okay. so it's a potentially, now, okay, so it's a potentially vulnerable incumbent. Yes, very vulnerable. Okay. They say the best time to take out an incumbent is their first reelection. And my my opponent, well, he really hasn't done much with his time there other than be a rubber stamp for Nancy Pelosi. And that's not very popular up this way. Okay. See, one thing I, I was speculating on on this uh, podcast is that if we did get a President Joe Biden and the uh, infectious disease people told him that he needs to just lock the whole country down, he would do it. I think that's highly likely that he would do it. Uh, I'm Trump hasn't done it, even though Trump has done things he shouldn't have done. But I'm surprised that he's withstood the pressure. And he's basically done it, oddly enough, on the correct grounds that it's unconstitutional. We have federalism in this country. We have states that have some powers. That's been a pleasant surprise to me. But he, even so, he's, you know, I don't want to, makes me crazy to talk about it, but He's better better than Biden would have been on this one thing. There, there can be no doubt about that. What can the Congress do? I mean, at least the very least, Congress ought to be making a heck of a lot of noise at the very least if something like that happens. Well, you know, I and I think this is one of the, I think the saddest things we've seen in all of this is that Congress has been, for the most part, in so many of the major decisions along the way, has been completely silent. I mean, we look at the big trillion-dollar bailout packages where they would couldn't even be bothered to vote on it. Uh, they just kind of let this they let this go through. There's no, um, there does not seem to be, with with the exception of a few people like like Congressman Massey, there does not seem to be very many people willing to stand up in a time of emergency and question the strategy for how we get out of this. Because of course, the establishment conventional wisdom uh, is always just more Keynesianism, more spending, more big government, more uh, government reaching into every aspect of your lives to the point where now here in the state of Maine, our governor wants us to register with the state in order to buy a cheeseburger. I mean, uh, and, but people are afraid. And so people are willing, are, are afraid to kind of stand up and, and, and offer something different, but that's exactly what we need right now. Um, you know, the power of a, a seat in Congress is not just the ability to kind of vote the right way or sponsor legislation. Those are all great and wonderful things. Um, but Thomas Massey showed us the other day what the power of a single seat in Congress is. When one person's willing to stand up and say something that Americans are thinking, but perhaps a lot of people are afraid to say, which is this is crazy. Um, so that's where I see uh, a lot of the value coming in. I'm going to be someone who I've never been kind of someone who's a, a sits on the back bench. Uh, here in the, the when I was in the main Senate, I my I I got in my first year and I just started swinging and passed constitutional carry to restore our Second Amendment rights, uh, reformed welfare, prohibiting our taxpayer dollars from going to things like alcohol, cigarettes, and lottery tickets, uh, and got right to try pass, which um, I always I always mention. I I got the idea for right to try on the Tom Woods show when you had uh, um, uh, the gentleman from the Tenth Amendment Center on talking about it. But those are the things that I was able to get done by just kind of jumping in and uh, having the liberty movement at my back in the main Senate. Um, so I'm going to be acting very much <laughs> in a similar way when we when I get to Congress, which is I'm going to be taking on the big issues. We're going to be raising the um, we're going to be making sure the things that we care about 
are part of the conversation and uh, we can advance the ball forward for, for the ideas of freedom and liberty. Tell us very quickly, you probably told it before, but your own personal story, you're a young guy, young-ish, right? How you went from being just a regular American schlub to being a Ron Paulian, uh, you know, legislator in, in the state house in Maine. Yeah, it, it's, you know, when I look back on it, it's, it's been a crazy wild ride ever since then. I remember when I was in high school and I was just kind of believing whatever Fox News and Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity told me uh, I should believe in terms of what it meant to be a Republican. Uh, and at the time, that meant invading Iraq and starting all these wars that have, you know, in the hindsight of history, have been abysmal failures on all levels. And that was the hardest thing for me to to accept. I, my oldest brother, Matt, uh, was a big Ron Paul supporter in 2008 and kept, uh, you know, beating me over the head with Ron Paul's message. And I, 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 I couldn't I couldn't hear it. I was too I was too committed to the Fox News line. But it was really in the Tea Party wave where I started to kind of realize that a lot of the things that the establishment uh, were telling us weren't adding up. And I started to realize it was the Republican establishment as much as any Democrat that that was destroying our constitutional freedoms and liberties. And it was only Ron Paul who had the consistent message of, uh, of, of getting back to the basic principles that made America great in the first place. And uh, and especially when I realized that he was right on the foreign policy and that so many of these wars that we've thrown our young men and women into have been for um, for not for the purposes that they told the American people that they were. And uh, now to see these wars still going on 20 years later is 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 atrocious that our young men and women are, are, are still dying in Afghanistan 20 years later. But so that was a moment for me during the Tea Party wave. And I. Uh, yes, and I, I got a college and I wanted to help make a difference. I was working actually as a professional actor in New York City, and I started volunteering with the Grassroots Ron Paul campaign there. Uh, it was an organization called the main, uh, the New York City Liberty Headquarters. Well, I just started showing up to debate watch parties. People started noticing, hey, you keep showing up here. Will you help us here design a flyer? We're going to go out tabling. So I design a flyer. And then you, you do little things and people keep giving you more and more responsibility. And before I knew it, I was being... Uh, I was being recruited to uh, join the Ron Paul campaign as a staffer, which actually I initially said, no, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to leave behind everything I I'd, I'd worked to build up over my life. I was working to be a professional actor and I was just starting to have some real success at it. But it seemed like in that moment in 2012 that uh, something important was going on in our country. And, you know, if I had an opportunity to play a small role to make a big difference, it seemed irresponsible not, not to. So I joined. I came where my family's lived for 10 generations uh, and started off as a field staffer, became the state director. Uh, we won the state. Two years later, I ran for state Senate, defeated a 36-year Democrat incumbent I wasn't supposed to beat, beat him in an 18-point landslide. Uh, and then uh, everything's kind of gone on <laughs> from then. I just, every step along the way, I've asked myself, what is the role I can play to help advance the cause of freedom and liberty in our country? And, uh, you know, opportunities keep making themselves available. And as long as they do, I'm going to I'm going to keep fighting for to try to carry on that torch of liberty that Dr. Paul handed on to all of us. Tell me again when the primary is. Uh, the primary is going to be on July 14th, which actually isn't originally when it was scheduled. It was supposed to be on June 9th. Uh, it was um, so right around the corner from now. But the governor uh, 
by executive decree, uh, postponed the the primaries. So are they going to be in person? Is, is it going to be in person voting? Uh, at this point, there have been no movements to end uh, in person voting, which I'm thankful for. Uh, a lot of people may want to vote absentee, but uh, but the polls will be open. At least that's how things stand right now. Okay, good, good, good. So then, so we'll know. Gosh, though. Probably the last thing in the world you wanted to hear was that it was going to be an additional month plus <laughs> stuck in the primary phase. Especially when you're the front runner. You know, I'd be happy if the primary were today. <laughs> right. I know. That's what you want. Yeah. But I will say it's, it's it, it, I, it is a, an odd situation to be a liberty candidate after all these years of, of fighting in the wilderness. It's an odd situation to be in a contested primary and realize you're the front runner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just did a search. I was looking up some stuff about fundraising and stuff. And I, I don't want to, it is by no means a slam dunk. So we don't want people to think, ah, oh, we don't have to help this guy out. We got to help this guy out. But I want you to know that if you did support Eric, you wouldn't be throwing your money at some pie in the sky, never going to happen kind of thing. It's quite plausible. Oh yeah. We we've led on fundraising and so much of that has been because of freedom minded people across the country chipping in as well as, you know, in Maine, I've got more the big thing is we've we've also got some of the the most small dollar contributors. I've got more individual donors than all my primary opponents put together. And a lot of people even just chipping in 25, 50 bucks uh, has has helped us be the top fundraising campaign in this race. So anyone who wants to continue helping out and and investing in what will be the winning team if we keep up our momentum, uh, they can go to ericbrakey.com and chip in and be an investor and be a part of our team to free Maine and free America. All right, so that's the site. I'll link to that on our show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 1650. I think folks by now realize I don't have a whole lot of politicians on the show. That's very rare. And when I do, it is 999 times out of 1,000. Well, I haven't done 1,000, so that couldn't be quite right, but but it's almost always I know the person or I know the person well, and I've followed you for a long time, all the way back uh, years uh, into the Ron Paul campaigns. So I wouldn't feature somebody I was not comfortable recommending to folks. You know, if, if it's just somebody who wants to come on and repeat some talking points, you know, and then they're going to turn around and, and take advantage of my folks, I wouldn't be interested. But uh, but I want Eric to win this. Thomas Massey wants him to win it. All normal people want him to win it. So you you folks are normal people, so you can do the math here. Uh, so check him out. I'll link to the stuff at tomwoods.com slash 1650. And best of luck, Eric. I hope to talk to you again when you are in the general election. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. All right, that's going to do it for today. Tomorrow, our old friend Ryan Daniel Moran comes back on the show. He's got a great new book we want to talk about. Then the day after that, David Stockman of the Reagan administration will join us to talk about the virus and the economic fallout and a lot more. He's been really, really excellent on this topic. Then Jeff Herpener will round out the week. Jeff just finished another course on economic history, American economic history, for libertyclassroom.com. And this is the period that runs from about 1861 down to 1921. So you've got the U.S. Civil War, World War I, the Depression of 1920 to 21, some great juicy topics that we will be covering in doing our review of that course with Jeff. So some fun stuff coming up this week. Make sure you subscribe, tomwoods.com slash episodes. Is that how you subscribe? Oh, tomwoods.com slash apples, how you subscribe. Slash episodes will get you the list of every single 
Tom Woods Show episode, and heaven knows there are a lot of them. I am going to be releasing this very week a brand new free ebook. Your Facebook friends are wrong about the lockdown. You knew it was coming. Oh, it's coming, my friends. It's coming this week. I will be announcing it here on the show and on my mailing list. So you got to go grab that thing. So stay tuned. Maybe tomorrow I'll be announcing it. I don't know. I got to wait for the DNS to replicate or whatever. But uh, as soon as it's widely available, I will let you all know. See you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free. And we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.